Welcome to episode 124 of the Fertility Podcast. Hope you're well. I'm Natalie, your host. Just if you've found me for the first time a bit about me, I had treatment in 2014, successful fertility treatment, and have a background in radio broadcasting and was already an audio geek and decided to make this podcast speaking to experts and people who I've met predominantly on social media, who are sharing their stories too. That's what the Fertility Podcast is all about. It's a place that hopefully will give you some interesting information as well as maybe some answers and, in essence, make you feel less alone on what can be a pretty lonely and daunting journey when you've suddenly sussed out that actually trying to get pregnant or get your other half pregnant or conceive however which way you're doing it isn't as straightforward as you'd assumed. So if you like what you hear, do get yourself to Apple Podcasts and you can rate and review this podcast as well as subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. Thank you in advance. If you can do that, that means this podcast can continue because as the podcast world gets busier and busier, we need to stand out and your reviews make a huge difference to help other people find this. Now in the UK at the moment, there's some really interesting press coverage being given to a new fertility education initiative and I'm going to be speaking to one of the founders and share that with you in a few weeks. In essence it's helping young people understand about their fertility and most of us I think were taught to not get pregnant or to not get someone else pregnant rather than having any understanding about how our bodies work and the uh, issues around fertility and also the IVF isn't a magic bullet you know it's not the answer for everybody so I'm going to be focusing on this more and as part of that I wanted to put the spotlight once again on endometriosis it's uh, the awareness week in the UK this week I'm putting this out at the start of March and again something that affects a massive amount of women one in ten and it's still misunderstood and misdiagnosed often undiagnosed So with all this kind of content being shared and maybe if you know somebody that uh, has always talked about having a horrid period, get them and and they've never really like looked into it more, get them listening to this, get them talking about endometriosis because it's still not talked about enough. And my next guest will explain what her charity Endometriosis UK does and how it can help you if, if this is something that you're suffering from. So I'm now going to welcome back to the Fertility Podcast, Emma Cox, who is the CEO of Endometriosis UK, because this week in the UK is Endometriosis Awareness Week. And I know it differs around the world, but we wanted to put the spotlight on it here in the UK. Emma, welcome. How are you doing? I'm great. Nice to be back, Natalie. Well, it's good to have you. And I I wanted to grab you, as busy as you are, (laughs) to talk about this issue once again and to see how you feel our kind of perception is of endometriosis in light of recent celebrity articles, which we'll talk about. Do you think that more people are starting to understand the severity of this? I think more people are, but I still don't think it's a household name by any stretch of the imagination. And given 10% of women have endometriosis, I think it should be. So I think what's been great about the coverage in the last couple of weeks is that it's reached the new audiences. So we've seen full-page articles in The Telegraph. Um, as you know, The Times has done a lot, as well as a more of the women's magazines too. So I think, I think it's starting to get there, but I do think it's still got a long way to go. So just talking about that coverage, one of the most significant people talking about it is Lena Dunham, 
from Girls, she wrote a big piece in Vogue about having a hysterectomy at 31. And that article, the the kind of words she used talking about battling endometriosis for over a decade and how the hysterectomy was potentially her ninth surgical procedure and how she actually had to write a thousand word essay to give to the medical professionals why she felt she could handle losing her uterus before she turned 32. Just talk to me a bit about the impact of, of that piece that she shared. Yeah, I think this had a huge impact in helping raise awareness. And I think we, we need to remember that at heart, it's a sad story. We have a 31-year-old who felt she had no other choice but to have a hysterectomy. That's what she's saying. And um, I think my heart goes out to, to Lena for all the battling she's done. I think that's an experience that many women feel very much resonates with them. The, the fighting to be heard, the not really being believed, the people thinking they're just being a bit a bit of a worse everyone should be able to cope with it. And I think that what she's described is very similar to what a lot of women face. I do think we need to bear in mind, though, that a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. Um, it is a cure um, or can be part of a cure for a condition called adenomyosis, where endometriosis grows within the lining, of, within the muscle of the womb. Yeah. Um, but, but again, nowadays, what we're hoping will happen is the sort of organs could be preserved um, and treatment can be to remove the endometriosis itself. So I thought anyone who is having a really tough time with endometriosis, I think a hysterectomy is an, an absolute cure for the condition and people need to be aware of that. Because the, the, the trouble with it is it doesn't show up on scans, does it? Rarely. So there's a couple of things can. There's something called an endometrioma which is a big cyst on an ovary, and that might do. And I think one of the things is if, if endometriosis is very serious and extensive, some expert scanners can sometimes pick it up. And that's led to a little bit of a myth where people say, well, it's not, it's, it's not on a scan, so you haven't got it, which is not the case. You're absolutely right. It rarely shows up on scans. It is, after all, blood. Um, it's just things in the wrong place and adhesions and scars and things like that, which are sort of don't show up on the, generally on the scans that we do. So is it right in saying that surgery is the only way to find it? You have to actually go in and have a look? We say that a laparoscopic surgery, so going in and having a look is the gold standard in diagnosis. And so until an expert surgeon's been in and had a look, that was the normal way to diagnose it. I think there can, some people choose not to have a diagnosis in that way, especially Young women might decide if they're, you know, very young, um, might not want to have surgery too early on. And if they find it can be managed through uh, their condition and their symptoms can be managed through drugs, etc., they may decide with their consultant to wait a few years, maybe till they're 16 or 18 or whatever, before they actually have that diagnostic surgery. But yeah, it's really the only absolute way to diagnose at the moment. Now, um, the author Hilary Mantle, who has written extensively Mm. about endometriosis, one of the things I read that she talked about was how endometriosis is not easy to talk about because it can't be explained in a phrase. Mm. It is complicated to explain, isn't it? Because it it does present in different ways and there's different stages of it, aren't there, from one to four? Yeah, it it is a complicated disease. And I think really, you know, it has a prevalence to asthma or diabetes. And actually, one of the things is it's not a household name and those things, we need to get it a state where someone said I've got diabetes they don't necessarily have to explain what the condition is because people know Mm. so I think we've got a long way but I think uh, Hillary's absolutely right it's not an easy one to to diagnose uh, to explain sorry that's okay let's talk about awareness week and what you're hoping to achieve and 
I'm right in saying this is the UK's awareness week. They differ around the world because there is this march at the end of the week, isn't there? Some places have awareness months. We do awareness week at the beginning where we try and generate interest. And then we also have there's the end day marches on the Saturday, the 24th of March. And there's walks in London, Glasgow, Cardiff and a couple of other places around the country. And there are also walks going on worldwide. But what we try and do is really have a week, um, as I know many European countries do, where we try and focus attention on endometriosis and our focus really is to raise awareness with the public it's trying to get out what the symptoms are and that there is a medical condition because so many women don't realize that what they're suffering is sort of all linked together and is actually a medical condition that could be managed so that our, our overall aim is to raise awareness of what the symptoms are and we've spoken before, and I'm going to link through to that episode as well in case we don't cover the same things. But do you want to give an overview of the symptoms that people would experience? Sure. Well, the over the main symptom that people talk about is pelvic um, pain. So chronic pelvic pain, either during the month or um, when or around the period. Um, but then also things like painful, heavy or irregular periods, painful bowel movements pain in going to the toilet, uh, to urinating, pain during or after sex, um, difficulty in getting pregnant and fatigue as well, which people don't often realise because obviously what it takes out of you. Mm. There are there are other symptoms that are less common. Um, if you get endometriosis on the lung, you cough up blood sometimes monthly, which isn't very pleasant, but that's quite a rare rare condition we also get a lot of women who say they get a lot of pain not just in the pelvic area but going into their legs as well and I think that's an extension of the level of pain that they're suffering I know somebody who is in their late 40s and they've just been diagnosed with adenomyosis which you spoke about Mm -hmm. briefly and potentially is going to have to have not hysterectomy but one lower than that I can't remember what it's called Mm -hmm. but I talked about some of the things I knew about, about adenomyosis and endometriosis, and they had no idea that these things that they'd been dealing with were related at 47 or 48. And so we, yeah. we really still need to, to think not just from maybe girls in school, but right through to women pre-menopause, don't we? Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's actually sadly really common. So, and and it's partly how we treat it. So we we don't really we don't teach menstrual well being in schools, which I think we should. Um, and so people just think about the period and then nothing. Generally, when they're younger, and then sometimes obviously they want to think of pregnancy. We don't really think about you know, like our gynecological bits outside the period, or if we know an ovulation is, etc. And so also when someone gets has severe pelvic pain or some pelvic pain, like potentially your friend might have done if they go in for treatment the normal the normal thing we would do in this country is try hormonal treatment to reduce pelvic pain so go on the contraceptive pill and that can if you like mask the symptoms of endometriosis and then your friend or or someone who's on the pill might be talking to their practice nurse about their period issues when they talk about contraception not realize that any bowel problems or problems when they have a wee is an is a symptom too and talk to the gp about that and so there's no link up between anybody about what the symptoms are and so one of the things we're working on with the royal college of gps is to um to raise awareness with GPs so that they start thinking about linking up some of the symptoms that they might see. You talked about the education side of it and I know that there's a petition that you wanted to get more people to sign to get menstrual wellbeing included in the school curriculum and when I was just reading about that, that stat of one in five women having heavy menstrual bleeding and, and not seeking help because 
they just don't assume that it's something abnormal. We need to really work on changing that perception, don't we? We do, absolutely. But if you say to many women, I can say this to you, you know, do you know what a heavy period is? We all think our heaviest period is a heavy period. Um, and but if you talk to someone who has medically heavy menstrual bleeding and they might bleed for, um, you know, multiple days a week, they have to change a tampon and a pad every hour or less when they're double protected. I mean, that's seriously heavy bleeding. But we don't we don't explain to people, uh, you know, what is a normal period and what volume you should expect, how often you should be changing your tampon pads, etc. And so we don't really people don't have the opportunity to discuss it and they don't understand when they're having issues. But yeah, it's quite scary that one in five women have what's medically termed heavy menstrual bleeding. And as I say, research shows that many of those don't think that there's anything abnormal and don't seek help for it. Yes, it can have huge impacts on their lives. So obviously we're talking about this campaign in the UK, but ultimately people listening, wherever they are, the first step would be mm. to go and speak to your doctor. Uh, like if, 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 if what we've described is, is something that's been happening to you for a while or maybe a start just started happening, go and go and check it out because it's not normal. Absolutely. What we say is it, it's, it's quite normal. It is normal to have pain with your period. Yeah. But if you have pelvic pain, it's interfering with your day-to-day life. It's not normal and you should go to a doctor and seek help. Because just going back to uh, Lena Denham as well, some of the way she described her pain, she talks about one period of time where she was trying to manage this new level of pain. And when you hear it described like that, it sounds unimaginable. Well, it is. Well, Alice, who's um, the one who started our petition, Alice is 22. She actually missed two years of school because she was in because of endometriosis. And she was vomiting and then passing out due to pain. She actually ended up in A&E several times. And I think it was on the seventh time she'd ended up in A&E due to having passed out because of pain that they decided she wasn't just making it up. And I think there is a, you know, for whatever reason, we don't seem to listen to to women about what their level of pain is and what they're actually suffering. So it is normal to have some, or it is normal for some women to have some pain. But again, it shouldn't be interfering with your day-to-day life and vomiting because of pain and passing out is, is not normal. And sadly, some people are told that it is. Because I did notice something, I think on Twitter, just the other day about um and you've probably seen it too was there that a guy had compared period pain to the heart attack and there was a whole load of women going hallelujah i've not seen the exact one i did see a lovely quote the other day from a man who said he was quite shocked that they didn't know about endometriosis and said you know if if men men had periods they'd come with bragging rights like oh you think that's heavy you should see what i have to yeah. put up with which i thought was quite funny um i think i think there is a i think just as we understand now that a migraine isn't a little bit of a headache i think there's a huge difference between normal period pains and if you like some of the chronic pelvic pain for endometriosis and other menstrual conditions it's a completely different level of thing so yeah i think uh, it's, it's about how do we get people to understand that I just did a quick little bit of googling and it was compared to a heart attack. A doctor had said mm. that period pain that period pain can be almost as bad as a heart attack and a whole host of women were talking on Twitter that finally the severity of what you know women are experiencing is starting to be acknowledged. Yeah. I think it is starting to be acknowledged. I think there's more coming through about that. I think we have a long way to go and I think what we also do is, um, as a society, we get some sorts of pain. So if someone slips on the snow 
and sprains their ankle really badly. Hopefully they won't. People get that and they might need physio or whatever. But if you come in with this internal pain, you know, it could take years before you're even diagnosed, let alone looked for physio or support or, for example, pelvic physio is something that is available, but very, very rarely that a lot of women find incredibly helpful. And yet it's not something that we offer as standard in this country, unfortunately. So hopefully the more we can get it spoken about, people might start asking for this kind of treatment. Absolutely. All right, Emma, well, good luck with the Awareness Week and good to chat to you again. And we'll put the links to the petition in the show notes and and links to your website as well. And uh, look forward to speaking again. That's great. Really good to speak to you, Natalie. Thanks very much. Pleasure. You take care. And you. Bye. Bye. The Fertility Podcast is supported by Ovusense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, Ovusense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and fits like a tampon, so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. Now you use it at night while you sleep and then in the morning, you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now Ovusense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit ovisense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk or call 0333 so as always, Emma's details and the charity's details will be on the show notes. And I'll share the article that Lena Dunham wrote. And I just want to share with you the tweets that she wrote when she shared the article online. She put, your body failing you is a loss that's hard to explain. And yet the amount of messages I've gotten from women in a similar predicament has been so overwhelming, loving and heartening. 60 million women in America are living with hysterectomies. And those of you who've shared your plight and perseverance make me feel so honoured to be in your company. My illness and choice was just that, my choice. I'm not a doctor and I sure don't claim to be, but sharing this piece which delves deeper into the options women have. My decision was what was best for me and I hope this helps you make the best decision for you and your health. Like I say, the link to her article will be in the show notes. And if you've got any questions, of course, you can email me, Natalie, at thefertilitypodcast.com. And don't forget to join up to my close Facebook group called Talk Fertility where I've invited some of the experts who have been guests on this podcast to be admins so it's a bit different to some of the TTC support groups that you might have on Facebook in that there are experts there available to kind of chip in they're not obviously there every second of the day because they're all busy but they've all very kindly agreed to be available so you can have a look on previous posts to find out exactly who they are I do keep an eye on the questions that you raise and if I think one of the experts would be a good person to answer, I'll tag them in as well. So I'm just trying to mediate between all these brilliant people that I'm getting to speak to for the podcast and put them in an accessible place for you. And I'm going to be sharing something else I'm doing with you in the coming weeks, which will make that process even easier for you to talk with experts. For now join up with that facebook group if you want to follow me on twitter or instagram it's at fertility Poddy. and until the next time